Hello, I'm Steve Parker, and a warm welcome to the July episode of the Uxbridge FM podcast. And it really is a warm one this week. Lots to chat about this month. We're gardening, off to the library, there's news on a job fair being run by a local events company, and we'll hear about how social prescribing is easing the burden for local GPs. First off this month, let's head to the library. Rosemary Whittles here from Hillingdon Libraries and we're chatting today about the Summer Reading Challenge. Hi Rosemary. Hi, nice to meet you. And you're from Ryslip Manor Library. Yes, yes, I'm based at Ryslip Manor Library but the challenge is happening in all the libraries in Hillingdon. That's a brand new library, isn't it, Ryslip Manor? It's been yes. done up recently. Yeah, the building is about 12 years old now, um, but we recently had a refurb again in, in 2019, so we're uh, very fancy inside. We're very pleased. Yeah. <laughs> and then this reading challenge, the theme is gadgeteers. Yes. All scientists and things. Yes, so this year's reading challenge, gadgeteers, is partnered with the Science Museum. and uh, It's focusing on everyday science, innovation, invention, um, and science that you can find in the world around us. Okay. And the usual thing, they can collect how many stickers? Yes, we've got four visits this year. So a registration visit and then three follow-up visits. There's three different sticker sets to get, all with wonderful, smelly stickers on them. Um, They also have codes for the reading agency's website so you can access games and things as you progress through the challenge and collect your stickers to go on the poster. Lovely. What is it, do you think, about collecting things with kids? They just love collecting things, don't they? They do, they do. I don't know what it is either, but it's just give them something to collect and they go crazy for it, especially the stinky stickers. I don't think we've got any really smelly ones this year. There's cupcakes, which are quite nice. And along with the reading challenge, we've got a whole load of events, sort of science-themed events happening across the borough with the libraries. Give us a flavour of a few of those then. Yes, yes. So all of the events happening in libraries are free. So we have various things from Lego building to designing gadgets. We've also got some great ones for over eights, which are making sort of paper circuits. So they'll be making simple electric circuits with traffic lights and light up things. Um, And then for younger ones, we've got some designing different weather gadgets like sundials and rain sticks. We've got a a free day event at the Great barn in Manor Farm, uh, which is called Professor Indexia's Secret Laboratory. It's running 10 till 4 and it's aimed at families of children aged 4 to 11 and it's just going to be a free day of different sorts of science experiments, crafts and different activities that you can just pop by and join in. And what day is that again? That is the 18th of August, all on our website, so you can find them all on our website. What's the website again, Rosemary? So the website is www.hillingdon.gov.uk forward slash summer dash reading. And then for older people, I know Ryslip Manor has some interesting facilities in terms of um, adult education, computing and things as well, doesn't it? Um, yes. Yeah, so pop in there. Adult education has actually just left for Ryslip Manor. Ah. Yeah, but they are still around in, in Hillington. So do oh, check yeah. out their websites. They've got all their information on there. Um, yeah, in Ryslip Manor and all our libraries, we have computer access for adults, members or non-members. And we also have access for children as well, um, who do need to be a library member to access the computers, um, unless they've got a grown up with them. Some of our libraries have also just extended their opening hours this year, because last year we were still oh, on yes. restricted opening. So do check out our opening hours as well. And some other things that people won't be aware of, there's this borrow box scheme, isn't there, that um, I didn't know about until recently. Yes, borrow box is brilliant. So it's one of our free online resources for uh, library members. Um, We've got tons of online resources, but borrow box is great. It's um, audio books and ebooks. You can download them on an app. It works just the same way as uh, borrowing a library book. So you borrow it for three weeks, you can renew it. There are no fines attached to borrow box at all. It does it automatically if you forget to return it. The way BorrowBox works, we only sign up for a certain number of digital copies, so you might find that you have to put something on hold. But you can also search on BorrowBox through our new libraries app as well, um, which you can use to check out books in branch, search for books, place reservations, and you can also link family cards together as well on the app. So it's really useful to have. Yeah. Is there magazines available as well on that, or is that something else? Magazines are available through Press Reader, which is another one of our free apps, um, free resources. So if you don't want to waste the planet's resources, you can download magazines to your iPad or whatever. 
Yeah, and they, they read through really well. I really like the way Press Reader works. It's got uh, loads on there in other languages as well, loads of um, foreign publications. So really great if you want to check up what's going on in another country. Oh, right. So if you're perhaps not English as a, as a first language in the borough, it might be a resource to head to for yes, local um, you know, resources for you. Well, thanks very much. So um, website is the place to go to for the Reading Challenge, all the events on there. I might do a tour of the borough and have a go at some Lego and the circuits sound great fun. But thanks for popping in, Rosemary. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Next up, news on a recruitment day in Uxbridge. If you like a career in the events industry, that's a sector that's obviously growing massively again after COVID. Right, so Michael Swain is here from a local company called Encore. Hi, Michael. Hello, nice to meet you. Now, you're here because you've got a big recruitment open day coming up on Tuesday, the 19th of July. Tell us more about what kind of jobs you've got going at Encore then. So just to start with, I should say that Encore is a global events company. We work in central London with a lot of uh, landmark hotels to work with their clients to put in place uh, corporate events. Um, we have a lot of uh, vacancies in our venues for audiovisual technicians, lead technicians, technical events managers, project managers and designers um, that would work to deliver a great event for our corporate clients. We're putting on an open day on the 19th of July, starting at 11 o'clock at our Uxbridge facility. And we're welcoming anybody that's interested in a career in the events management field or production in general. So in Uxbridge, you're um, over by the canal in Uxbridge with a big warehouse. I imagine lots of trucks going to and from every day, bringing all the equipment you need for the hotel events. It's a warehouse and also you've got offices there, so um, a wide variety of, of jobs on offer. Yes, we, we've, we've not just got venue uh, vacancies, we also have production vacancies within our production team based either at our Uxbridge facility or in our facility in Leicestershire, which is more production focused. Um, we have commercial sales roles, warehouse vacancies and marketing and communications roles. We call a lot of those roles enabling functions because it enables our front of house teams to deliver to our customers. We are growing at an exponential rate, we like that word. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> we are looking to develop the enabling functions to support the operational teams at the moment as well. So there's a vast array of roles and vacancies that we have, and we would love to welcome lots of new team members to the team. On the 19th of July, when we have our open day, we will have a lot of subject matter experts from every different department available to talk to students or people looking to change their careers or people look, just looking for an opportunity mm. um, to discuss what we can offer you as well. I imagine through lockdown, the events industry was probably on its knees, shall we say. But obviously, it's um, seen a huge turnaround since. I mean, um, how was business going from sort of 2018, 2019, and then back again now to 2022. During the COVID epidemic, as it were, I wasn't working within the events industry. I was in aviation, so okay. I, I had an even, even worse... Um, journey through that than the events teams. With Encore particularly, they managed to hold on to 60% of their staff and virtually multiple the companies just to keep things ticking over. Mm. They looked after the employees from what I understand really, really well, whereas a lot of other companies had to get rid of 60% of their staff. And I think that loyalty is now being repaid by the teams in situ. They understand that we're looking to replace the teams that were lost. Also, at times, try to bring them back. We have also approached people that we would love to come back. Mm. We want to share our good fortune with everybody that worked with us previously. Now that the upturn has begun, we are seeing a, a great improvement in the market. And the order book is pretty strong at the moment. So give us some examples of some of the brands and some of the sort of parties and events that you've organised. We work quite heavily with Lego in Denmark. Um, we have done a lot of work with Nintendo. We've done some high-profile production work for some film industry companies. Um, can't say particular names on that one, I'm afraid. <laughs> We've also worked with rock concerts. 
roving theatre companies and help them to put on their productions throughout the UK. We have a long-standing agreement with the Edinburgh Fringe Festival to put on productions with them as well. And we have some amazing showreels that we can demonstrate to people when they turn up on the 19th as well. And there's some perks on offer as well. If you do get a job with Encore, aren't there? It's not just a... A regular job? Yes, at the beginning of the year, we decided to to look at what we're offering people to make us, you know, what is our unique selling point and how can we enhance the journey that our employees come on when they join us. Mm. Um, one of those things is a $25 million package of extras that we can offer people. A large part of that is a premium Booper healthcare plan. We have an employee assistance program. We have enhanced benefits. We have enhanced annual leave, a thing called perk box, which gives us a perk every day. Um, for example, it might not be much, but you can get a, a Greg's sausage roll at least once a week and a, and a free coffee from Cafe Nero. And there's lots of perks and benefits and discounts associated with that app that we offer our teams. We also offer great career development within our teams. Everyone that comes on board with us is issued with a toolkit and it shows them how they can step up to the next level. And then it's uh, supported volunteering, I see mentioned here as well. So you offer some volunteering opportunities, perhaps? If you come to us with a really good idea to do some volunteering work for a charitable organisation or a local community group, then we would be more than happy to support that with you dependent on the feasibility of that and if we can get involved as, as a company as a whole we, we would more than happily get involved with that too we're always looking at new initiatives that we can roll out to enhance our team members experience at encore but we also want to become sociably responsible within the community where we work i think all companies should be doing that shouldn't they really when you look back in history and you realise, for example, in Uxbridge, the town hall was built by donations from businessmen at the time. I was thinking, wow, that would be crazy if that happened today. It would be nice if it did, but um, it's one of those things that we could push perhaps bigger companies into doing more of, perhaps. Absolutely agree with you. I think that, you know, every every large organisation within a community, if, if we offer, we, we offer not only employment to the local community, we need to be socially responsible. And if we can maybe in time, obviously not now because we're still regrowing from COVID, if we can become a philanthropic company and help our local communities and work with them to develop plans for careers, plans to improve the environment, become sustainable and do whatever we can to help educate school leavers into new jobs with apprenticeships, with internships, with a graduate programme, then we will most definitely be open to do that. So websites and things, more information, where can we go? We have Encore EMEA and Encore Global website. So if you go to internationaljobs.encoreglobal.com, you'll see our careers page there and it covers all of our regions within EMEA, which is Europe, Middle East. In Europe, we have the UK, we have Germany, Austria, the Netherlands, Switzerland. Then we have Dubai and the United Arab Emirates. And we also have some um, work in Saudi Arabia. But we are part of a global company that have offices and a presence in Australia, Southeast Asia, North America and South America. So you can also look for those jobs on that website. If you did want to come along to our open day on the 19th at 11 o'clock, we can discuss putting you in contact with our colleagues in those other regions as well. If you wanted to relocate to other countries or if you wanted to look at options to grow your, your career in those areas. Great. Loads of potential there. So Tuesday, 19th of July, 11am, and we've got tea and coffee and maybe a Greg sausage roll if we... Uh... We're looking at refreshments and seeing what kind of sandwiches and um, food we can offer as well. We're hoping for a light lunch. Um, we want to celebrate um, ourselves and enjoy the day as a team, and we want you to come along and enjoy that day with us. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Michael, for coming in and chatting all about the open day on the 19th of July. Thank, thank you. you. Now, a phrase you may not have heard of before is social prescribing. It's fairly new in Hillingdon. Let's find out more. We're chatting to Denise O'Brien, who is a social prescriber and part of the Celandine Health and MetroCare Primary Care Network. Denise, first of all, I doubt many people know what a social prescriber is. 
Can you explain that first of all? So social prescribing, sometimes referred to as community referral, is a means to enabling GPs, nurses and other healthcare professionals to refer people to a range of local non-clinical services. GPs and nurses tell us a lot of people visit them feeling isolated or lonely. Patients might be stressed by work, financial issues, housing problems, bereavement, or the stress of managing a long-term health condition. When this situation is recognised, the patient can be referred to the social prescriber. The social prescriber will contact the patient, listen to their issues, identify what matters most, and will support them to access appropriate services, activities, or organisations that can help improve their well-being. GP only has 10 minutes to speak to that patient, whereas for myself, I get to sit down, talk to them, find out what the actual issues are and take it from there. So they get to freely talk about what's going on in their lives. And these are non-clinical issues. That's right. So what sort of issues might they be? There's a whole range, isn't there, I guess? There is. So we cover financial issues debt, loneliness, it could be budgeting, getting back out there into the community, just general life, day-to-day issues that people need support with. Mm. So there's perhaps some crossover with citizens' advice if you're talking about debt and money issues. Yeah, so we tend to link patients in, which is part of our title. So we will link patients into the different sectors, whether it's the local community, local organisations, whether it's Citizens Advice, Age UK, we use a lot of their services. And then can you go on to prescribe treatments? Maybe it's, um, I don't know, acupuncture or something or some kind of massages or something. If someone's got non-clinical issues, what can you offer them on, on that front? Once we found out the root of their problem, we can then explore different avenues that may help them. Mm. And they, it was up to the patient to decide what they feel they're happy or comfortable to do. And how is it funded? Would you fund treatment or the patient has to then fund their treatment? Most organisations we do are voluntary, so most things we recommend or not recommend, we suggest and patients make that decision. It's most of the time it is free. Sometimes there is a charge, for instance, if someone needs help with their housework and things like that and they're alone, they don't have any other support, Age UK do have a charge. So we do make patients aware that There could be a charge Mm. for the services that they use, but in general, most of the time there isn't a charge. So this is in Hillingdon. Is this happening across the UK or is this a fairly new thing? So in Hillingdon, it's been going on for two years plus, but it has been going across London for many more years than that. The first port of call would be a GP or, or nurse. Can they contact you directly as well? So they can contact us directly. Um, We do have an email that they can come through to us. I've had patients where I've spoken to them and they've referred another patient to us. So there's lots of different ways if they speak to the ambulance services, charity organisations, GP, nurse, they can all refer in to us and self-referral is okay as well. Social prescribing such a, a wide range of issues that you could come across, isn't it? I mean, Perhaps if we've got friends that know people who have issues, obviously they go to their GP first and they'll forward you on to the social prescribing team. Never know, you might get Denise. Or Vanaya. Or okay. Beverly. Yeah. <laughs> What's the email address then, Denise, for contacting you? So the email address is nhsnwlccg.spreferral.com at nhs.net nhs nwl ccg dot sp referral at nhs.net well thanks for coming in telling us about that um i'd never heard of it so that's great raising awareness of it in the in the borough and it's good to know that service exists thank you very much denise thank you now watch out around the borough because the various primary care networks that's the groups of health care providers. They're running health roadshows. 
and to tell us about one of the roadshows being run by Celandine Health and Metrocare PCN on July 16th at ASDA, we've got Shona in the studio, who's a clinical pharmacist. Tell us about this upcoming roadshow then, Shona. Right, so the roadshow is an event to raise awareness of blood pressure monitoring. It's from 10am to 4pm. And it will be basically a team of healthcare professionals from the PCN, which is the primary care network. Yeah, I'm learning. <laughs> so on the day at ASDA, tell us who's going to be there. At ASDA on that day, you will have clinical pharmacists. Basically, what we do is just help doctors in managing people's conditions. We'll review people with complex medical issues such as diabetes, asthma, COPD, and also, in addition to just giving expert advice on uh, medicines as well. We'll also have the care coordinators. What they do in the PCN is just tying everything together and they connect patients with the different healthcare professionals. So their role is just basically holding the whole team together. Yeah. We also have the health and wellbeing coaches who offer personalised advice um, that will empower people to uh, manage their own health and wellbeing better. And we'll also have social prescribers on hand and they help connect people with activities and services within the community and just help people address practical support needs. So it's just blood pressure at the roadshow, not other stuff. We can also do weight measurements because obviously that ties in with uh, blood pressure and cardiovascular health as well. Yeah. And then if patients have any issues, you can then refer them on, can you, or give them advice on things to do. That's right. So every person that comes and gets the blood pressure measured, we get a card with the reading on it. And if they are one of our patients, i.e. within the PCN, which has 11 practices. So if they're one of those practices, we can actually do a follow-up with them. We can call them back in for a clinic or just, you know, do another checkup on the blood pressure readings as well. If they're not within the PCN, you can still come and have your blood pressure checked and we'll give you that reading and you can just take that to the GP and then they can follow up on that if there needs to be any follow-up. Do you say people know, I have no idea, what sort of boundary of blood pressure is clusters bad above what level the the number is 140 over 90 so anything over 140 over 90 is high yeah so a lot of people actually have high blood pressure and actually don't know it okay that's the reason why we're doing this mm. it's estimated about 7 million people in the UK have high blood pressure and don't know it mm. and also high blood pressure is a known cause for strokes and heart attack and also disability, actually. So, and it only takes about five minutes to check your blood pressure. I suppose that's the easiest kind of non-invasive test to do, isn't it? You could test cholesterol and things, but that then means you've got to give a blood sample and things. It's a bit trickier as to perhaps. That's right. There is something called the <laughs> NHS Health Check, which offers all those in one check, which mm. is also available on the NHS. So 16th of July, 10 till 4pm at ASDA in South Ryslip. Go and get your blood pressure checked. Thanks, Shona. And following on from that, there's a number of health roadshows happening across the borough. Just search health roadshows Hillingdon. Just before our next guests, there's a couple of what's-ons to mention. Firstly, Hillingdon Fire Station are having an open day on Saturday the 23rd of July from 11am. Meet the firefighters and learn about all they do. There'll be a bouncy castle, food and drink. Probably quite refreshing in the current heat if they're spraying water everywhere. They're at 3 to 4 Uxbridge Road at the top of Long Lane, of course. Then lots going on at the Iver Environment Centre with summer holiday family fun sessions. There's pond dipping, pitta pizzas, plants and pollinators and surviving the wild. Just search Iver Environment Centre and you'll find details on those. Here in Uxbridge, we got the news last week that the Uxbridge bid team have been voted back in by local shops and businesses for another five years, which is great news as the Love Uxbridge team brings so many benefits to the town. They've got Pirate Fest coming up between the 20th and 31st of July with a pop-up food market. There's a free ocean play bus on Wednesdays and on the Saturdays, all kinds of roaming sea creatures and bands. 
more details at loveuxbridge.co.uk. We're heading outside for our next two guests. Let's catch up first with Harmonsworth Horticultural Society. So we're joined once again by Hardip Singh, who is from the uh, Harmonsworth Horticultural Society. Hi, Hardip. Hi. Now, what's been happening on the allotment where you are? Well, since the last time we spoke, quite a lot, uh, Steve. I remember telling you how things are gradually coming to life, but now we're in midsummer, and I'm actually sitting on my plot at the moment, and I normally find that the best place to talk about plants because I can actually see and share what's going on. So we've got all our pumpkins, you know, which we planted and uh, months ago now in our bearing fruit and vegetables. We've got the sweet corn, which was planted out, I would say, two months ago. That's bearing tassels. You can see the sweet corn forming. The onions are looking amazing. So this year we've grown exhibition onions. So they're huge. I mean, they're the size of a standard sort of adult palm and really heavy because we've got a competition this year for the heaviest onion. So there's a everybody's trying to grow the, the largest onion. And then on the other side, we've got the fruit is doing really well this time of year. We've got our strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, all out. And they're lovely and juicy. And key again is watering and feeding but and netting because the birds love them as well. So it's probably the best time of the year now to start seeing the, the vegetables develop, grow, and the fruit ripening. The, the, the key thing is the trees, the apples on the trees, they're really beginning to swell up and they'll be ready to harvest instead of autumn, late October. Um, so, yeah, so, so much going on. And then the flowers, so many flowers out, marigolds, rudbeckia, antirhinums, different types of sunflowers. We've got sunflowers which are growing seven, eight foot tall, benstimons, lovely arrays of salvias, which are really easy to maintain. And you've got your natural grasses and cornflowers all on the allotment. So it's a really lovely balance of flowers and vegetables. And so wherever you sit on the allotment site, you're always next to something, some different colour, some different texture. And the good thing about the allotment is, is just watching the birds and the animals and the bees doing their thing and, you know, trying to pollinate plants, looking for food and sharing that space, which is really important. And if people want to still um, plant vegetables, are they too late now or are there some things you can still plant? <clears throat> Not at all. So actually, I've just taken a seat now because I'm just getting the ground ready to put some carrots in. And it's not too late to plant carrots. You can put in cauliflowers now. You can put in cabbage. Some easy things to grow. Coriander, which is very easy to grow. Peas I've just put in and they're coming out. And a trick for the listeners, which I've learnt myself, is before you plant, let's say, peas, Really dampen the ground, put the peas in, so the peas you put in a drill, cover them, water them again, really soak them, and then put a black bag over them. And hold. And that black bag is brilliant because it keeps the soil really warm and it makes germination quicker. And just keep checking on them, and within about five days, your peas will come through. You can take the black bag off, Put in your uh, sticks where the peas climb up, and within about another three or four weeks, you'll have lovely fresh peas. That so there's a great. lot you can, yeah. yeah you, there's a lot you can do this time of year because the soil is warm. You can put seeds straight into the ground. The key with that is making sure that the soil is a fine tilth. So that's really raking and taking out stones because seeds like to be sort of surrounded by fine soil. And sweet corn, I've just put in. Um, I went down to the local garden centre and brought some small sweet corn plants and I put those out and they're growing well. So, so there's a lot to do, a lot you can, I think, I think the gardening year is, we're only halfway through summer so it's not late to put things in the ground or to buy some, buy some plants from your local garden centre. And I hear you have some bees on the allotment as well. Yes, so I'm a, I'm a beekeeper and this year has been really good because what the bees love are heat, warmth. They're sort of driven by the sun. So we've had some really nice hot days and the flowers are out. So it's just the optimum conditions for a bee, for honeybees. So they're out 
foraging on lavender. I'm surrounded by salvia, lavenders, rudbeckias, cornflowers, and there's bees everywhere. And they're all collecting the sort of nectar and pollen to take back to the hive. So, so far this year, as it stands, it's a really good year for a good honey yield. And the honey, they say that uh, London honey is the best. And the honey that we collect here is Harmonsworth honey. So it has that uh, special taste to it. And people tell me that if you suffer from hay fever, it's good to eat local honey. Do you know how close you need to be to the hive to have an effect with that? I mean, is there any sort of evidence of that? So myself, we distribute honey to the local community. People come back for it because for them, they say it does help them. So we get a lot of demand for local honey. So I think there is something in that, that local honey does help. And do you have one of those white suits that you go and check out the the beehive with? (laughs) (laughs) I have a lovely bee suit. I have a smoker. Four main things you need is a beekeeper. Um, Five, actually, I'll come to the fifth one. Your Your beekeeping suit, your smoker, your hive tool, and really good gloves. Because yes. because I have been stung a couple of times this year. And the fifth thing is you've got to be able to, you need to be ready to be stung now and again. They tend to find all these spaces to, to climb up your in your wellies and find a gap somewhere in your sleeve. And the funny thing about bees sometimes is they they do like following you around. So once you've done your inspection and put your suit away, they do like to sort of follow you and see what you're up to. Ah. So we've got about six hives here. We get a good crop of honey. And we'll keep um, an eye out on the diary as well. I hear there's potentially an event coming up with the Horticultural Society, although not a date set yet, but um, we'll keep an eye on the social media for that. What's that going to be all about? That, yeah, that's, that's right. So every year we, we like to do a sort of family day where we encourage families to come down to Harmonsworth and uh, we have lots of things for them to do, you know, look at for kids to be entertained. We'll have live music We'll have uh, we'll have some hive there, uh, a show hive. So we'll bring some bees down. You can see the queen bee, how she works, and get you know get close to nature. So there's lots of different things to do. We're just trying to we have to work with English Heritage to get access to the Great Barn, which uh, you know is a Grade One listed building. It will definitely be on the social media site, as you say. Well, great stuff. It sounds all very exciting at the allotment at the moment. It's very exciting, very tiring, I can say, because this time of year and this weather, it is non-stop watering. And we use water butts here, so we don't have any pipes. So it's watering cans into a water tank, filling them up. So a good day, you're looking at an hour to really soak the plants in water, because without that, you know, all the effort is wasted. So watering is taking up most of my time. That's great to hear what's going on at the allotment and um, thanks for joining us, Harleep. Cheers. Thank you very much. We're staying in the garden for the next one and it's a long one, so find a comfortable seat. We're heading to Harefield for the amazing story of church gardens and one family who've turned an abandoned derelict manor house garden into an oasis on the level of a national trust venue. I met up with Mum Kay and daughter Aideen. Hello. Nice to meet you, I'm Aideen. This is Kay. Hello there. Hello, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. This is (laughs) amazing. (laughs) Come through. So have you been before? You haven't, have you? Well, I keep seeing the Open Days and the Open Gardens websites. Yeah. I've never been here before. What's the story? Is it an interesting one? Well, it is really, I suppose. I mean, when you say, do you mean it's history or how we came to be here? Well, I suppose both. <laughs> well, Church Gardens, which this is, is all that remains of the Harefield Place estate. Ah. So there was a manor house, and that would have probably been at the top of the Anzac Wall graves. Okay. And then the family that lived there, they had it demolished in 1813 and they built another one up the road and they had another manor house as well. They were quite rich, I think. But they kept on the lands and the estates and they had a family working for them and they converted this building into a modest dwelling at the end of the 1800s. And then the baby of that family, Connie, carried on living here until she died in 1970. And she lived there exactly like her family had lived. So she mm. refused to have electricity connected and okay. she had no water in the house. And, and so the house was very, very basic. 
and was probably deteriorating quite badly by the time she was elderly. Mm. And then it was just left. There was a gentleman working for her before we came along and he was quite elderly by the time we came along in 95. And he'd run a nursery here. There were some old greenhouses and things, not historic ones, but he had sort of allowed everything to run down because he was getting quite old and kind of allowed builders to dump on the land to get a bit of money. The walls are all 17th century, so they were derelict in their own right, as you can imagine, being nearly 400 years old. There were little buildings and stuff and everything was kind of falling down, wasn't it, Aiden? And there were... Yeah, very overgrown. All of the outbuildings were mainly things put up with bits of asbestos sheeting and pretty ghastly, and they were all falling down. Yeah. And so we came along and it was very, very overgrown, very derelict and full of rubbish <laughs> and so we bought it then and it took us two and a half years to make it habitable right and then we moved in okay um, <laughs> this one here she's one of a set of twins aren't you Aiding? and when we started restoring it Patrick and I Patrick thank god is an architect <laughs> um, oh, right. and when we started we had one small child who was really not much more than a baby and then these two were four weeks old when we moved in so you've seen it grow mm. oh yes yeah. She's had a very hands-on, rustic upbringing, <laughs> haven't you, dear? Well, there might be a few photographs on yeah, that board if you want to have a look before we go down the garden. Here, but there's quite a lot of pictures here. This gives you an idea of what the kitchen garden was like. That's a bit quite clear, um, actually. And this is the state of the wall in the kitchen garden. So basically it's derelict. Very derelict. Yeah. And we are gradually... The kitchen garden walls are now all restored. And we are now restoring the the big, there's three walled gardens. There's this little one, and then there's the kitchen garden, which is like the medium-sized one. Yeah. And then there's a big one out the back, which is like an orchard come nuttery. So what's an alcove for? Is it, well, was, it, was there a use for that? There, this is the thing that is one of the very special things about the property, that the wall is a bit of a mystery. It's probably served quite a lot of purposes, but there's quite a lot of theories about different things. But one of them is that it might have been used as like a backdrop for a performance because the poet Milton wrote a mask in 1634 to celebrate the 70th birthday of the Countess of Derby who lived in the house. And the front part of these arches were built slightly before they filled in the back with these lovely alcoves because they don't key into each other. Mm. And back in those days, they did literally build things in the garden to use as a background for your dramatic oh. performance. Um, it was called arcades. Yes, and it was so called great. arcades, which was a bit of an indication. Yeah. And even all of the history people seem to like that idea. So Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it's had th- they've had things growing in them, so I think that's why they built, because it's a retaining wall, one of the reasons why there's a wood growing on the top. Um, there's nails and stuff, so there could have been, like, sensitive grapes or whatever, because mm. it would have been pre-glass. But, yes, that gives you a bit of a look at what it looked like. So back in 95, yes. you obviously saw potential in, in it. Yes. And you were bonkers enough to take it yes. on. And also it was cheap enough for us to afford. Oh, right. We had to reapply for planning permission to make it back into a dwelling, so it wasn't even considered a dwelling because oh. it was so bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's probably a picture in the guidebook of me hacking away at an earth floor. <laughs> so let's try and... There's pictures here yeah. of you putting in the services. What's yeah. this, this gas? Oh, or? Now that, yeah, that's everything. <laughs> that goes all out to the road. Yeah. So in this trench is our water, electric, gas and cable. Okay. So that was a job and a half. Yeah. For a few years, you lived basically, what, in a caravan? or When we were first trying to restore it enough to move into it, yeah. we carried on living in our house in Uxbridge. Okay. And then we moved in as soon as we could. Yeah. And then when we moved in, it was very basic. And then gradually, you sort of build it up. It and then as you can afford it, really. And me and Patrick, we like to be outside. He grew up on a farm in Ireland, and I've always been... A passionate gardener. Yeah. And we probably spend, still spend, probably more time than we should do outside. So we're coming into what was... This was like a courtyard. Yeah. So there are actually big flinty 
stones underneath, not far underneath this grass. Okay. So this was like a, a basic cobbled yard. And yeah. the building at the end, which we've had to completely rebuild, was a sort of outbuilding when we came here. It was pretty, that was very, very derelict. And my dad lives in there now. And these tables and chairs are all ready for when you have open yes. days and things. So whenever we have a visit, so at the moment people come for like guided tours like horticultural groups and things yeah. so we can have one or two a week so they just live out there all year nice and during the season and we're trying to build a new building because we started our first openings in 2018 yeah and that was an ngs opening and then obviously we've had covid in the middle of all of that yes. as well which yes. we barely left the place really but we got a lot done <laughs> but we got a lot yeah. done <laughs> <laughs> but we're building a new building the family together because we do all of the building work ourselves the restoration brickwork has to have an expert person but we do all the labouring okay. and they are very good at building now they've um, been roofing that's your most recent accomplishment hasn't it roofing yes Wow. So this garden is almost <laughs> completely done and it's the most labour intensive part of the grounds really. There's three acres here all together. So describing this as we've walked into sort of a walled garden, yes. what, what sort of rough size would you say? This is less than an acre, um, probably not much less than an acre. All of the walls here have been restored. This is the one that was done first. So the whole top, we have wander around and you'll see, but the whole top third was completely down. And then here it's tied into big buttresses on the back. Yeah. And we finished that one in 2011. But they're very expensive to do, so it takes a while. And then this one and the low one over there, we finished by 2014. And then at the end, which is quite interesting, there's a hedge. There wasn't a wall there at all. I thought it just fallen down, but then I learned that in a walled garden of this age, there quite often wasn't a fourth wall. Oh. So the, that was to let wind and frost pass through. But we have some interesting neighbours, don't we, Aidy? Furry ones, badgers. We have a huge oh, badger set, about 50 metres, runs along the back of there and the back of the other wall. And so we have to try to keep them out. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got a fence with strong foundations, but they've now, the fence has been there a while and we've been battling the last few weeks because they're very strong, obviously. So and what the are last, they after if they oh, come in here? anything. They keep, they, just dig. they dig everywhere and they're stealing actually loads of animals like tulip bulbs because they're quite sweet. Oh. So they dig them up. But what they're waiting for is the sweet corn. Yes, okay. they love sweet corn batches. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> so this, when we first started cultivating, we had to clear all of this. We're organic and I'm the gardener, so it's quite a lot to do. So everything was covered in black plastic or weed suppressing membrane. And the only gardening we started around about 2004 with veg and we put in a polytunnel and the vegetable beds but nothing decorative could happen until the walls were finished. Yeah. There's not much point, really. No. No, because you get lime water all over everything. So, so the whole concept of a wall garden is that it's, it's warm mm -hmm. inside. That's Sheltered, the, yeah. Yeah. So you can grow things. Perhaps you can't grow somewhere yeah. else. Certainly, like a wall like that, that's like the main growing wall. Yeah. So you've got fruit trains along there, peaches and things. Mm. So there's all sorts of different things, cherries, pears, wow. apricots, peaches. But it's all relatively recent. And there's loads and loads of flowers because um, I do lots of companion planting around the veg. Yeah. So everything is a mass of stuff. This is your full-time job then, isn't it? Well, it is, but yeah. I do have a job, so... OK. <laughs> We're musicians as well, but oh, right. luckily that's quite flexible, so I teach. That's a rainwater harvesting system in there. So these are big... We leave this off to talk to the visitors about them, but these are big recycled tanks, which we've had for many years. Originally transported concentrated orange juice, and now they're full of rainwater. And an old central heating pump takes it down to where the vegetables are and then we've got solar panels here and the solar panels are there because you can't put them on the roof because it's listed <laughs> um, but they pay us a tariff for those which is good yeah this is the wildflower area as you can see predominantly oxide daisies at the moment 
great for bees here. Yes, absolutely. And dragonflies. We've got a new ponds as well, but on this little ponds here, loads of dragonflies. Yeah. This is all the fruit. Patrick designed this amazing fruit cage. So we have step over fruit round the edge. You can come in. <laughs> wow. See the cherries. So we've got an cherries. undercover kind of mesh. <laughs> That's right. So um, the fruit cages to keep the birds off. Yeah. But again, we made use of all the things that were left around the place. So there had, was an old bath and these old water tanks in the orchard, and they are full of strawberries. And you've got just berries there, raspberries there, blackberries there. But this is a mulberry. Fruit beginning to produce fruit actually. Oh yes. And cherries there. There's watercress in the bath, which has just been cut back because it was flowering. <laughs> and this is black currants and gooseberries and red currants, as you can see. Lovely red, red currants, which are really, really nice. This is a tiny walnut, because these have to be miniature trees. So would you make use of all the fruit and sell As much as we or? can. We sell our overproduction as it was so at the moment I've got a lot of red currants here mm. so the next visit you've just found a recipe for a, a cake that involves red currants which is good and we may well put some out and we're going to overproduce some strawberries quite soon yeah so we'll put some of them out blackberries are quite early yeah these are oh gosh yes and then almost ready there's similar to the hybrid blackberries over there so they're like a, a different sort of blackberry there but just bred to be a bit bigger. Okay. Well, not bigger, actually. Those are really <laughs> Now, then, we've then created this, but unfortunately, lockdown happens and the visitors couldn't come, so they couldn't see it until this year. But this is where the grapes are. So this is Patrick's raised bed for grapes yeah. and vines. And actually, underneath... Like a bunker. It's like a bunker for mushrooms. So on either side in there, there's like little beds oh and there are organ pipes everywhere you probably noticed that when you came in so i didn't organ notice pipes organ pipes the but they're from the church because the church got rid of their organ yeah. a few years ago now and i coordinate the music at the church and i was a bit worried about what would happen to it yeah because they're often dumped so foolishly i suggested to patrick that we try to rebuild our own organ in the house which we have now finally done but it only used about half the pipes because you can't make it too big because the house will probably fall down. <laughs> so then it was a case of reusing the organ pipes for the sake of my marriage, really, I think. Because yeah. there's organ pipes everywhere. So there was about 500 left over. Just to get them out of the house. Just to get really, them out of the downstairs toilet for years. <laughs> they were. Okay. They all filled the downstairs toilet. So there were a lot of installations involving organ pipes. This is our version of a paradise garden. Um, which is courtesy of Tops Tiles, isn't it, really? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the, these came from Spain, but these were Tops Yes, very good. Very nice. <laughs> um, it took a while. And it means nice you can see over well. your wall, yeah. which is why the Tudors had their mounts, because they like to be able to look over the walls that they also like to build around their properties. And then this is the vegetable garden, which at the moment, this site, this end looks more like a wild flower garden. Yeah. Because the vegetables haven't gone into this quarter yet. So there's 56 raised beds and they're arranged in a geometric pattern. You can see from the corner of the wall over there, there's a viewing platform on the other side and you can look down and see how it works. Oh. So this will be brassicas, but they're not in yet because they're still in the polytunnel. And all the flowers you can see are a lot of my companion flowers which self-seed. And at the moment they're just allowed free range because to keep the soil covered and healthy. These are the autumn sown onions and those are the ones that went in the spring. Where yep. the beans are now was where the garlic was and all the garlic is now out drying in the cold frames. So it's literally just you guys, you haven't got a gardener that comes in and helps you out. No, it must be pretty much a full-time job. It is a lot of work, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all ours, really. Yeah. But then it's just such a lovely place to be. Yes. It's really mm. fantastic. Yeah. So yes, this year, this is onions and beans and there's some peas there that we're just finishing in there. And then in this quarter, here's the potatoes. So this quarter is pretty much done, isn't it? So the courgettes have just gone in. Yeah. 
and they are interplanted. These are zinnias, but they've just gone in. So the different types of companion planting to help different things. So you've got lots of marigolds here around the potatoes because that helps keep the pests away from potatoes that tend to affect them. Okay. Like um, cystil worm, potato cystil worm. <laughs> you've picked up knowledge as you've been going on, have you? Are, are I've you... got a lot of books. Yeah. I'm a bit of a bookaholic. Okay. Um, More organ pipes. More organ pipes. So this was the last of the metal ones right down to the tiniest ones. as many as possible. <laughs> I didn't realise how many pipes an organ has. Oh, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous, because every single rank of pipe is a separate stop, so a separate instrument, so huh. it's a lot. And this is where the pumpkins live. So the pumpkins have only reese and squash, butternut squash. So they've only recently gone in. Yeah. Um, so they're babies at the moment. The only thing that was a plant that was here originally is that vine you can see there. Yeah. So there was a big, vigorous old vine, but nothing else. It was a bare canvas. So we have quite a lot of different types of group coming to see us. Horticultural groups, obviously. Lots of U3A groups. Yeah. Um, but others as well. You get artistic groups. So this is our latest creation, was this pond we dug at the... When did we actually dig the hole? The hole was there most of the year, wasn't it? We put the liner in in September. Like you're going to see some fabulous dragonflies. When you say pond, I mean, normal person's <laughs> pond is just a plastic pond that you buy from B&Q. <laughs> this is in another level, isn't it? It's yeah. so lovely. So this is actually the most historic garden. There's the amazing wall. Oh, and the arches. Yeah. So they think that this wall, this garden was an original Renaissance pleasure garden, ah. partly because of that wall yeah. and its excavated shape. And there's a channel which we are sort of making into a stream that basically before we put the ponds in, one of the reasons why we put the ponds in was the channel came all the way down here and was the overflow drain from the original estate ponds where they would have had their fish, which are up behind the church. So when they overflow, water comes down the channel in the winter, quite fast sometimes. And supposedly was supposed to go into this pipe and then into a culvert. Well, as you can imagine, every year the pipe will get blocked and there'll be a big flood, um, which is not good when you just restored a very expensive wall. So we applied when our latest set of restoration application was to put a pond in, um, so improve the whole training thing and also just have, it just lends itself to a pond here so perfectly. And then a barge um, arrived. Yes, that is Aideen. Yeah, that was locked down. How did you yeah. get that here? On the back, like on a trailer. Yeah. Because that's just a very little one. Just came from here Marina. Yeah. <laughs> so that's her restoration project. <laughs> Okay. Is your plan to float it at some point again or no. just leave it no, there? No, it's going to stay there. <laughs> it was floating when I bought it, um, yeah. but it, it's quite old. How did it get in here? There's a access somewhere. It used to came here. down there, it was tight. It, yeah, it was very it tight. It was really tight. The pond tight. wasn't here no. at that yeah. point. Yeah. So we, we told our guy <laughs> who we bought the boat from and the guy who moved it that there was we were going to be putting it next to a pond, but there was no pond when he brought yeah. it here. So in fact, she was parked up there next to a tree. They look at you like you're completely And then mad. he came when he came back, he says, oh yes, there's the pond. <laughs> so <laughs> she now... <laughs> So yeah, the pond was a big job, especially planting the pond, because the stuff for the planting arrived just over a week before our first open day on Easter Monday. Mm. And I wanted to plant it in these huge pots, which is a lovely idea, but you can't really lift them up once you've filled them full of heavy soil. Yeah. So that was both twins, your boyfriend and me, planting them and then trying to get them in here. There's a lot of plants in here. Um, to talk over a dip now and again in the well, summer. We do, yeah, we do. Every day. It's not an official swimming pond. It hasn't got all of the, you know, the extra gadgetry that they would have. It's a pond, yeah. lots of plants in. But yes, we do swim in it. And <laughs> dragonflies are really. Oh, yeah. They're you fantastic. They're around and they just fly they, past And they you. fly, <laughs> they hover like that <laughs> near your face, and you can watch them laying their eggs. That's cool. So apparently, they will only frequent. I mean, we've had dragonflies on our little ponds, and it takes a long time for their dragonfly nymphs 
to come emerge from the water they stay in the water for about three or four years yeah. then come up and become dragonflies those ones have then found this one but they only like ponds where the water is quite natural and you know sorted out with the plants and so on mm. so we're we're taking this as a big compliment because every day we come out there seems to be an extra dragonfly mm. isn't there they're very entertaining yeah any yeah. sort of thoughts about combining your music talents with doing some sort of performance here maybe yeah so that's our plan so that is the new building and um, that we're in the process of building at the moment and then once that's done we want to not only be open more so we're hoping to be open every sunday afternoon yeah but also be able to put on events mm. so music concerts or people could hire it out things like that it'd be an amazing wedding venue wouldn't it yeah mm. it would that's where the bees are our bees in fact a new swarm came late last night because our bee society use this area for bees so they look after the bees i'm glad to say we've had to have new bees going this year because we only had two small colonies over winter and they just didn't make it through the winter so he's been it is bees have a hard time but they look quite happy at the moment lots of flowers here too yes this is very bee friendly just there and that's the viewing platform if you want to go and look at yeah. the wall. Good. You can see everything from here, <laughs> up on this platform. Including how curly the um, wall is. <laughs> oh yes. yes. Some walls are built to be a serpentine wall, but this isn't supposed to be, but that's, at least it's upright. That's the important thing. Wow. So it's a really nice view from there. And you can see what I mean about the beds. Have you got pictures or ideas of how it was originally as a, as a wall garden? Barely any. They did do a conservation plan because before you do any work, you have to have one of those done. And the lady who did that, we still are really well connected with her. She's very helpful and very supportive. She did quite an extensive conservation plan, but the actual archival stuff that we have is very basic there's barely anything yeah we've had a visitor recently who's he's an mp and it's simon baines and he his family were a family that did live in harefield place briefly and he's got one extra painting at home Mm. which we've never seen which he's going to send us a copy of so that's very exciting yes because there's hardly any images at all this whole it's a nuttery so 150 years ago, somebody came along and planted all these cobnut trees here, which is also quite unusual because it isn't Kent. So that's quite Uh. unusual. But the cobnut trees, I've noticed actually the squirrels have started eating the nuts. They're coming down already, but they're more useful for poles. So (laughs) we make them into things. Yeah. So you have a man that comes round and checks your your walls, listed building kind of man. You have to have all the checks done when you're going that was part of the application because although we've restored a lot of walls because these are going to be restored we had to get fresh permissions to be allowed to do them Um, this is supposed to be the oldest bit apparently it's 1592 how do you know that well that's a good question i think it was the owners before the countess of derby there was some record of a particular bit of wall being but that must be how she came up with that mm. date but yeah you do wonder and then here are the lovely arcades so the arcades you think will be used for what well all sorts really i mean originally the village that harefield locals who knew about it and not many of them did thought it was a bee wall because you get bee bowls have you heard of those they're like little oh. they're quite a lot smaller than these to be honest and they're like arched alcoves built into walls for sheltering the original beehives which were woven yeah but bee experts have dismissed that idea it's um, quite a lot of work to build these archways a huge amount of work into this wall must be um, a reason for it so there are nails sticking out so they could well have had things sheltered in there to grow and it could have been for statues there's mm-hmm. some very sort of disintegrating statues in the churchyard which have been put into newly built arches which might have been here we don't really know yeah but that would have been a way in to the back of the house so what would the new building be used for so basically it's going to be like a tea room 
Ah, um, so cool. somewhere we can serve our refreshments. But we're realising that doing the inside is taking us longer than we thought it would. Because it's quite hard work, isn't it? Everything takes yes. longer than you think. We're insulating at the moment. Right. <laughs> You're welcome to have a look. You can have a look. Do you want to have a look? Oh, go on then. Yeah. Yes. Just this is the new tea it. shop. Yeah. So, all of this. One day we'll serve cake. Paved and nice and clear. And it will have like a little outside shop area, basic shop. Almost imagine a blacksmith working here. Yes. And we've got lots of old machinery that we want to put around as well. But this is it. It also has a basement for storage as well. It's just what she's been at a different level. So here we are and it has a minstrels gallery up there. Oh, wow. Very appropriate. <laughs> um, and it's going to have a disabled toilet. But when you're doing all the work yourself and everybody's got a job as well, plus also the garden has to be kept going. It's, and like tidy enough for visitors yeah. and things like that. We're taking on um, it's taking longer. I mean, it's just so big. Yeah. I mean, just with all the, the bolts, things that the engineer said we had to have all these bolts, just putting in all those bolts took forever. So this is our building. So yeah. you've, got, you've had a preview. Not many people have been in there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's pretty much it, hasn't it? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I'd have a meltdown, I think, if I was in charge. <laughs> Where do you start at all? So open days wise, yes. what's the plan? Well, our next big open day is August bank holiday, which I believe is the 29th of August. But we also do public guided tour days mm. once a month. And where small groups of people can come and have a guided tour with Kay and we limit those to about 30 people. So they're quite nice and yeah. personal. There's one on the 13th of August and there's one on the 17th of September. So they're always on a Saturday. And then we've got our big public open day and big they always are. So they are big events with about 600 people usually turn up. Right. And that's on the bank holiday Monday in August. So we do 11 a.m., 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. And we limit tickets for each of those slots and it helps with the parking. Mm. The level of the garden is on the sort of National Trust level, isn't it? In terms of this yeah. is the sort of thing you'd expect at a National Trust place. It's incredible. That level of finish and all the variety of the flowers and the fruit. And stuff. Yeah. I think visitors, it's people love coming because it's quite small. It's not like these National Trust places where you're walking 20 minutes to find a toilet <laughs> or 20 or minutes. Or the ice house. Yeah, <laughs> to the next feature, or you've got to walk around the woodland walk or something like that. It yeah. is quite compact, but there's so much detail fitted into a tiny space, really. So yeah. there's lots for people to see. And the other thing is that there's always new things going on. So our visitors that came in September last year came back in April and they've seen the pond and they just love it and they feel involved in the whole the whole story and the whole project really we're going to opening quite gradually and you see, see how we get on see how many people yeah. come because you could absolutely you could get somebody to come along like, is it country house rescue i think that's on the telly and they get like an expert to come along and they say right you need to do this convert this outbuilding into a spa and you can do this and guests can come and stay and things like that and you could get, you could do all of those things. The potential is huge mm. and you could make a lot of money, but it would be out of our control yeah. um, and it'd be too much for us to manage. Yeah. And I think also it would lose its sort of personal touch. I mean, everybody that comes can come and speak to Kay and um, ask questions about the garden. They can speak to us actually doing like ask them how they manage to eat so many many vegetables they yeah. do like to ask that and they love it <laughs> <laughs> they come back a lot as well it's very sweet we have um, the same groups of, some of them have been back three times haven't they mm. we do talks as well so we've got um, a couple of talks but the main one is showing like the restoration mm. from because we had fortunately took lots of photographs so it has lots of pictures in it, doesn't mm. it? We started that during lockdown because it went over Zoom. Mm. And that now we've actually been going out to societies and doing that, which has been really nice. And then 
more people get to hear about it and yeah, come people along. get a chance yeah. to actually see what it was like a bit more because they yeah. come and they think, oh yeah, this is a lovely garden. You must have bought it like this. And, everything else. <laughs> and you're like, no, not so exactly. We, yeah, we try to put the display board out to give people a bit of an idea, but you can't possibly explain it what it was really like. It was basically a barn with a ramshackle yeah. garden, and you've turned it into an oasis. I suppose once the barn's open, the tea shop. That would be a nice venue for, as you say, talks and things, and yeah. groups can come and you know, twenty people can sit in the tea shop of an evening and have a little talk yeah. and slideshows and whatever. There's a massive amount of potential, and the thing is, um, with the marquees, we've been able to do a lot, but you are weather dependent and things yeah. like that. There's been a few events where we've had a downpour, but we've stayed under here. But it would be nice to have something inside so you can have an event on and not need to worry about a backup plan and things like that. Yeah. Um, so what useful skills have you gained? Obviously, roofing was one of them. JCB driving, maybe. Yeah, I can drive a digger, dumper. She's um, very good in the digger because we think it's because of playing the harp. Because there's a lot of pedals and levers on a yeah, digger, a isn't there? So in, she's in a harpist. Life, yeah. ah. So we think the two things work quite... In fact, they should suggest that at Guildhall, really, yeah. as an alternative to your studies. And our diggers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, I think, because this sort of level of of thing, you'd expect some kind of lottery fund or something. I mean, thinking (laughs) Hanford Park, for example, the bottom of the borough, they've raised a few million pounds, I think, on the lottery to redo the cafe and the stables and whatever. It's that sort of level, though, isn't it? It's tricky because it's our private house, too. Mm. That sort of thing, any sort of funding, it's ridiculous, even for the arcaded wall. It seems like the most obvious thing in the world to try and get some sort of heritage funding yeah. for that, and why not? It's like one of the most, probably the only wall like it in the country. Mm. Well, thanks for the tea. That's, a That's amazing. I should recommend my friends to Aww. come here for a visit. Thank you. And cakes and things, probably. Yes, lots yeah. of cakes. She, lots she does a good, I think there's even a picture of your cake in there. Because <laughs> she makes a very good the coffee and walnut. It's very popular. Yeah. Thank you. Thank You're you very welcome. much for coming. See you Take soon. Take care. So churchgardens.co.uk is the website for the garden. And all the upcoming open days are listed there. It really is astonishing how the place has been transformed. Well worth a visit if you can. Right, that's all for this month. Do join us on social media. Just search Uxbridge FM. Thanks to Chris Allen for helping out and Luca Nieri for the music. And you, of course, for listening. Catch you next month. Mm-hmm.